The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Goodnight Marilyn Radio as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. We've got a few shout-outs this morning. Pittstown, New Jersey, Linda, Tammy from Newman, California, Wilma from Fresno, California. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Roxas City in the Philippines, Andea, Rena in Long Island, New York, Petra from Dubrovnik, Luca from Savona, Italy, Lena from Barcelona, Spain, and Jana from Miami, Florida. Hello, good night, Maryland fans. As you know, we are growing each and every day, and it's because of you and this story that we are really shedding some great light on this mystery that has been haunting us for nearly 53 years. And actually, next week it will be 53 years. We are in season two, Maryland, the last day. So many people surrounding Marilyn that last day, it gets very confusing. And as you know, a lot of people are connected. Some people think they're connected and really aren't. But how are all these people and situations and theories and potentially facts connected? We'll find out today on Goodnight Marilyn Radio as we'll be discussing some more events around the August 4th and August 5th uh, events. And we will be talking more about the theories of what happened that night. And we do say theories We have Elisa Jordan, who is going to be with us in just a few minutes, L.A. Women Tours. She'll be on hand to talk about her event coming up, a Maryland tour on August 9th. If you are here in Los Angeles, it might be something fun for you to do. And uh, and then later in the hour, we will be talking, uh, not later in the hour, in just a few minutes, we'll be talking with the panel again, uh, Gary Vitaka Robles, best-selling author of Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. And back with us is Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray and Leslie Kasperowitz. So before we get started, though, I have a lot to cover today, and I'd like to thank the Voice America Radio Network's Randall Libero, who will be with me in just a few minutes. He's the executive producer. Mike Surgit, our engineer, always stepping in with a, a ready-to-help kind of attitude. Jenna Weissman, our talent booker, and Jennifer, our social media person. Could not do the show without you guys. And as you know, last week we talked a lot about the ambulance theory, 
Well, we'll be finishing up today with the Norman Jeffries angle, and Eunice, that's Eunice Murray's son-in-law. There are more things that we'd like to add to the mix with the panel and recount that, and we'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. Uh, and as you know and you heard me say, next week is the 53rd anniversary of Marilyn's death. And technically it's August 4th, but it is uh, mainly honored August 5th of this coming week. There is a memorial that is held each and every year at the Westwood Memorial Park. And it is arranged by Maryland Remembered Fan Club. Uh, Greg Schreiner and his team uh, go to MarylandRemembered.org for more details. So, and we also have, as I said, coming up on August 9th, something uh, wonderful, a Maryland tour here in Los Angeles. Elisa Jordan is with us to share all the details. Hi, Elisa. Hi, thank you for having me back. Well, I'm excited to have you uh, here for a few reasons. One, to tell us about this tour. But two, I know you know a lot about Marilyn as well, and I'd love to get your kind of like favorite thing about Marilyn. But tell us, first off, tell us a little bit about what is this tour? How did you uh, come to, you know, have it, you know, uh, start uh, doing this tour? And what's it all about? Well, it started a few years ago when I was volunteering on a couple of websites as a Maryland expert, and I realized that people don't know a lot about her, and sometimes it's not even their fault. It's just a lot of the resources out there aren't very good. And so I kind of decided, well, if I take them to the actual places where these things happen, it might make her come to life, and they would see... um, how things unfolded in her life. Marilyn is a hometown, a true hometown girl in Hollywood. So her story is unique in that way. And her level of fame is also unique. So it's my goal just to teach people about the real human being that's behind the myth because she wasn't a myth at all. She was a person. Well, I think you said that so eloquently, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're doing this show as well is, you know, taking something that is, you know, a feature film that is mainly entertainment and how can we then bring something that is what you said is more fictional to something that is more real up close and takes it out of iconic stardom to something that is more real and accurate and and more um, authentic to who she really was. What is something that you get a lot when you're doing your tours about Marilyn that is the most or the biggest misconception? There's a couple. One, a lot of people don't realize that she was brought up right here in Hollywood, and a lot of people don't realize how determined she was and how strong she was. They see her as kind of a one-dimensional tragedy instead of a well-rounded person who actually had a lot of courage in her spirit. And, of course, when we get into the whole Kennedy thing, um, that's one of the things people really want to know about, and I have to kind of dispel those stories, it's really not what you think. And people, I find, are actually disappointed when I tell them the truth. It's um, not always the story they want to hear. So the story is that there's this big love affair with both the JFK and Robert Kennedy, I would imagine. Right. They want to believe that there was this huge romance and there's a huge conspiracy, some 
stories even go so far as to say she was a spy, which gets really ridiculous, but people love that. And for whatever reason, they kind of hang on to that and cling to it, and they can get really upset when I unravel that and and let them know there's really not a lot there. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to theory again and not a lot of fact to be able to substantiate it. And that's the challenge when you have all these, especially 53 years of, you know, people putting stuff out there that isn't necessarily uh, the truth. And maybe some of the stuff that isn't out there that may be true gets mixed in with the convoluted stuff. And so it's hard to find and, and dispel fact from fiction. So tell us if we were to do the tour and it's coming up August 9th, mm-hmm. um, tell us what 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 the tour is about like where are you going and what do you, what are we going to see well it's a pretty wide range of places we see a number of her schools we see a number of her studios a couple of the restaurants she used to frequent uh her homes where she lived and what that does is you can see how modestly she lives you can see how she built her career and you can kind of see how she is a true child of uh, Los Angeles, which was a, it's, L.A. is a unique place in history because <laughs> it's kind of by artists for artists, yes. and uh, she grew up in that environment when it was new, and I try to point that out as well. So um, it, to me, it's almost inevitable that she would grow up to be the world's greatest movie star, but when you understand the depth of character, when you see her orphanage, when you see the schools she went to, and when, when you see the restaurants she frequented, um, y- you get a much better understanding of who she was. So, of who she so, was. so, so, t- how how did they get to uh, to go on the tour if they are indeed here in Los Angeles? Not this weekend, but the following weekend, August ninth. Uh, what time does it start? Uh, it starts at noon, and check in is at. 1130, and they can go to com, and there's a link there that they can click on and go to the Maryland's Hollywood page, and or they can contact me on Facebook, and, and I can tell them how to do it, but it, it should be pretty easy to find me. Well, I'm planning on uh, going myself. It'd be nice okay. to not split up all the places that I've seen that she uh, frequents and the places that she lived into mm-hmm. one comprehensive tour. So I'm looking forward to it as well. And if the public here in Los Angeles would like to join me next, uh, it's uh, August 9th, and that will start at 12 noon. Check-in is at 1130. Go to lawomantours.com, com, And... Uh, Let's uh, let's have a nice tour. So thank you so much, Elisa, for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and we are talking about the last day of Marilyn's life, but we're also talking about a wonderful event. You know, it's interesting because it's shifted. You heard me say this at the very beginning when I started this show, and I, I do, and Elisa mentioned it, a lot of people just look at her as a tragedy. And one of the reasons why I'm doing this show and we're doing the investigation is I always believe that moving from tragedy to some type of healing and getting to the truth turns tragedy into transformation. And that goes for any of us that are going through something that's difficult. If we find ourselves in tragedy, where's the transformation? And in this case, it is the truth. And the wonderful thing about uh, the Maryland fans is next week, there is going to be a lot of celebrating of who she was 
in life, not just talking about the tragedy of her death. So with that said, I have uh, Randall, who's our executive producer, on the line with me, or in studio, I should say. Randall, um, you know, next week we're going to have another fun event uh, on August 4th. That's Tuesday at the Hermosa, at the not the Hermosa, the Formosa Cafe. The Formosa uh, Cafe. <laughs> yeah, the Formosa Cafe, not the Hermosa Cafe. Great the Hermosa Hollywood Cafe. landmark. If, yes, uh, exactly. We had, we had a lot of fun on June 1st with our press event and uh, uh, doing the, uh, having all the TV cameras there, and we got some great coverage. Uh, but I also want to say, you know, the, the, the tour that we just had Elisa Jordan on, the LAWomantours.com Maryland tour, uh, when the, the, uh, after I met some of the people who were at Greg Schreiner's party when we, were, when we were out there, and they were all just raving about how wonderful it was and how much they learned, and it was so much fun, and everyone kind of got, got to know each other. And I was hearing some of the stories and the places they went, and I thought, gee, I wish I'd come out earlier and gone on the tour. <laughs> you know, I, I, like I really missed something. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great event, and everyone who, who, you know, if they come out for our event, which is on August 4th, and then, you know, the celebration that Greg's doing the next day and then the L.A. Woman Tours. I mean, you can have a whole week of Maryland. You know, it'd be great for anyone well, who comes it, out to L.A. they got three things that they can go to. Exactly. There's probably even more, and we don't even know about them. So it's just, yeah, it. exactly. You so, know, so. so our event is at the Formosa Cafe. It's on August 4th. It begins at 11 a.m., and we're going we're gonna to have a live broadcast uh, with celebrities and Hollywood history and the classic Hollywood, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some of our uh, Marylands out there, Maryland impersonators, and we're going to have a party after. I mean, you know, if you can come out for this, we're going to have a great time. Why don't you tell some of the uh, our listeners here, some of the uh, wonderful people who are going to be part of this. Well, it's going to be fun. Uh, we have a lot of people may not know him by name, but he's actually a very iconic uh, director. He directed the seven-time uh, uh, nominated Oscar Academy Award-nominated film on Golden uh, Pond. He also did The Rose with um, with Bette Midler, mm-hmm. and he did the James Dean story. And Mark Rydell is one of my favorite uh, people in Hollywood. He uh, he started at the actor studio himself back in the nineteen. 1950- 1950s and he with was there James with Marilyn too, and yeah, James Dean in Marilyn. He's got some great stories, especially about James Dean himself, as he said, Jimmy. You know what I mean? And so, uh, and Jessica Tandy, and some of the people of uh, you know the golden age of Hollywood. And one of his uh, old time friends and colleagues, Ed Asner, will be with him. I actually had the pleasure of having them both on my Life Bites live show several years ago, and they could have their own <laughs> radio show. They're kicking the pants, so it'll be a lot. A lot of fun. And we'll have Kevin Dobson from Knott's Landing and some other people. Greg Schreiner will be with us. And uh, Vince Young, the owner of the Formosa Cafe. This is going to be a very unique opportunity. He has a lot of Hollywood secrets that he is going to kind of open up. Uh, you know, there are some uh, secrets in the floors of the Formosa Cafe. <laughs> and he says, you know what? It's time to tell. So we're going to have a lot of fun finding out what those secrets are. I am actually very excited because uh, the movie team is going to be with us, uh, the director herself, as well as uh, some uh, wonderful producers that we have, along with myself, and the writers will be there. And uh, we will also, for all of you who are listening that either know somebody or who have auditioned the first step for the uh, Maryland auditions, we will be doing our second round of auditions later 
later in August, and you'll be getting details about that. And we also have a big announcement on the investigation side of uh, of, uh, of the real-life investigation that we're doing, oh, yeah. somebody that we're adding to the team. So mm-hmm. we will be talking about that on August 4th as well. So it's going to yeah. be quite an event. So we'll be covering classic Hollywood, uh, uh, Maryland in, uh, as, as part of that. And then talking about the movie in some de- a lot more detail, and then also uh, for uh, for our the film and our investigation team revealing some some new people and some new information in regards to that. Now, this event uh, is going to be heard on the Voice America Live Events Channel. It's not going to be on the Variety Channel where you're listening to this show. So you want to go to VoiceAmerica.com forward slash Live Events. And that's where you'll hear the show. That's a really important thing. If you look for it on the Variety Channel, you're not going to find it. But we'll be promoting it on Voice America as far as voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. That's where you'll be able to hear the show or just be there at the Formosa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, come on and join us. And I actually am going to be asking people what is their favorite uh, what do they love about Maryland? And we've been asking it on Facebook as well. And Janet says that, you know, she was one of the most misunderstood women, but she is just somebody that wanted to be loved. And I will always stand up for her. And it's amazing. Uh, the Maryland fans, uh, the true Maryland fans, really, um, they have a very strong emotion as it comes to Maryland. Uh, Muradai says, great beauty and innocent smile. Uh, Zeta says, simply her beauty, perfect without Photoshop, and that's that's really true. You get some really wonderful candid uh, photos, don't you? Uh, have you seen t- too? I'm sure, uh, Randall, uh, you've mm-hmm. sent me some of them that uh, are just beautiful of Marilyn. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible that she never looks bad in a photo. I I don't think that anyone. <laughs> I've never seen anyone else do that. But yeah. even if she's you know she's looking down or she's sad and and uh, and you really see something in her face. There's this wonderful shot of her looking, and when she lived in New York, and she's on the rooftop of a building, and she's looking down to the street, and in her face you see her pain, her, her you know, wondering, you know, what's happening in her life, and you can just, just in the photograph, it just, it comes right through, it kind of, really hits you hard, and just in a still image, she can relay that kind of emotion, it's just, she, she was really amazing. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, you know, it speaks to her vulnerability of of why 53 years later, I don't think there's one star, uh, somebody that uh, another person is doing a radio show, let alone movies and books and, and uh, talking about this uh, star 53 year, years later. I don't think there's anybody like her yeah, uh, in the world in terms of movie star status. She's so iconic. And, and, then, and the thing about it is that she's loved by both men and women. And even yeah, kids, that's a very even good point. kids yes. like her. I mean, she's she was funny. young and old. Yeah, she was funny, and you look at some of her films, and she was one of the things that I really appreciate about her acting that really doesn't get mentioned is her comedic ability. She was oh, a yes. great comedian. She could <laughs> act comedy. I mean, to yes, be able to act comedy, sing, dance, do dramatic acting, you know, be a be a photographic model. I mean, all this in one woman, just an incredible person. Unbelievable. See, we, we got caught so caught up talking about her. I wasn't even looking at my cue. We have to go to a, a commercial <laughs> break. So I will see you Tuesday, August 4th, Randall, along with everybody else. We're asking you to come out and join the fun at the Formosa. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio, and we'll be back right after this. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. We will be uh, talking a little bit about how we left off last week about the ambulance theory. I thought this was kind of interesting. Somebody posted Tammy on our Facebook uh, uh, page, and I think this sums it up in terms of the ambulance theory. It's my understanding that Hall did, in fact, resuscitate Marilyn. However, he was told by Dr. Greenson to pull the uh, the recita- the um, the device out of her mouth and start regular CPR. According to Hall and his report, when the CPR was started, Dr. Greenson was pushing on Marilyn's abdomen instead of her heart. Within moments, Dr. Greenson pulled the, the, the syringe and needle used to specifically inject adrenaline into her heart, kind of unusual for a psychiatrist to carry a medical bag. And Dr. Greenson proceeded to inject whatever medication that was in the syringe into Marilyn. According to Hall and his report, when Greenson attempted to inject, he did it improperly and hit a rib approximately three inches to the right of her sternum. And she goes into some kind of medical uh, uh, description that I'm not going to try to to pronounce. Also, in doing so, according to Hall and his report, Greenson continued to push down on the needle with the sound of a fracture or break of a rib resulting in Marilyn dying. As a side note, when you look over the autopsy carefully, it does indicate broken bones. These are the facts. That's what she says. I'm going to start out with Mary Jane. Uh, Mary Jane... Any, you know, we talked about this last week. What are you, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, Tammy's commentary? I'm sorry, what was that? I didn't hear your last part. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of the commentary? Because I, I thought, you know, in terms of the autopsy, that there was no indication of broken bones or anything like that. So let's, can we clear that up for once yeah, and for all? Yeah, that's correct. If, there is, um, if you look at the autopsy report, the skeletal system was examined carefully. And I mean, when we're talking about, a needle big enough to crack a rib, that's going to not be unnoticed. There's going to be a, for a needle that large, there's going to be a large puncture wound um, that would be blatantly obvious to anyone there. 
And you have to remember, I mean, there's people who ridiculously try to accuse uh, Thomas Noguchi of fibbing or covering things up on the autopsy. But you have to remember, he wasn't the only one present. There were autopsies, autopsy attendants. John Minor was there, and he's one of the biggest promoters of conspiracy theories. And as an actual witness to the autopsy, he didn't mention giant puncture wound in the chest or broken ribs. So if you've got one of the big conspiracy proponents not noticing something that would be very noticeable, you have to just reasonably come to the conclusion that it wasn't there. Okay, because I was just, you know, I was wondering, you know, when somebody says, when you look over the autopsy carefully, and I just was like, that's just, you know, it seems like with, you know, you talking to Dr. Cyril Weck, obviously he's on our investigation team as well, is that, you know, the the realities that seems like that would be more obvious, kind of like what we're finding out with Dr. Engelberg, you know, Dr. Engelberg, of course, we, we now know, uh, prescribed uh, chloral hydrate to Maryland. So, you know, these are the kind of things that we need to get out of circulation and we need to find if it is indeed in autopsy reports, what autopsy report or, you know, you looking at and Dr. Cyril Weck is looking at and what are they looking at? Because again, it just keeps circulating over and over and over again. Anybody else want to go ahead? Oh, sorry. I was going to say Dr. Weck and I were looking at the same autopsy report. Um, I have found in, in talking with people Lay people will try and look at the autopsy report and think they understand what it means. And there's a lot of medical jargon. There's a lot of forensic jargon in there that the average person just doesn't understand for for lack of experience in that field. And when I did my interview with Dr. Wecht, there were, you know, certain things I asked him about that have been brought up as people saying, oh, is this indicative of something nefarious? And he patiently explained, like, no, that's, that's completely common. That's part of the death process. There's nothing suspicious about it. So I think a large part of the problem is people who are unfamiliar with medical terminology and methodology taking a look at this and interpreting it in a layperson fashion. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I want to get out of the circulation of of things that are just being thrown out there. And if there are some facts that we can determine, right? And right now you have one of the, the most leading forensic pathologists in the world looking at it, saying something completely different. And if he can say it, um, you know, uh, and doesn't doesn't see it, that that's a challenge. That's a challenge. So I'm not saying, you know, hey, if somebody can see something that we haven't yet and we bring it to light, that's a really good thing and Mary Jane just as a teaser on August 4th definitely want you to be listening we've got an interesting uh, addition as it regards uh, to the uh, investigation that I think you'll love so okay. Leslie yes I just giving you the public a little teaser too uh, so Leslie uh, you wanted to bring up Norman Jeffries who is US, Eunice's son-in-law um, what did you want to add to that before, but before I get to him I would like to read directly from the autopsy which I have in front of me I don't know where this person got their copy but the copy that I have says the clavicle ribs vertebrae and pelvic bones show no fracture lines. All bones of the extremities are examined by palpitation showing no evidence of fracture. That That's pretty clear even to a layperson. That says no fracture. So there's no fracture noted on the autopsy. And that's yes. the copy of the autopsy report that I'm looking at right now with um, all, all of those phrases intact. Okay. Right. So, so that's the, what auto- the autopsy says about fractures. Okay, Mm -hmm. so unless somebody else has an autopsy report that we have not seen, (laughs) 
<laughs> then the autopsy that everybody has access to is the one that says that there is absolutely no fractures to the ribs, which I think is an interesting one because that keeps on getting circulated and circulated and circulated. So and um, I've, I've also heard people say that, that the needle was plunged into the chest and the mark would have been hidden by the breast. But there's also a, a, a line in the autopsy that says the breast shows no significant lesions. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, again, it, it goes back to, you know, what we've already been able to uncover with Dr. Engelberg. You know, that makes sense. You know, uh, we'll talk about the washer and dryer in just a second. But, you know, some of these things that we're bringing to light start to make sense. If somebody has something out there that is more substantial, Right. And I say substantial. You have evidence of something else, then bring it forward because this one has been circulating and it circulates a lot. So um, for right now, the autopsy report that everybody seems to be looking at this morning indicates that there is no fractures. There's no indication of any kind of um, uh, mark or anything under the breast, by the heart, by the ribs or anything like that. So right now, that's uh, that's as it stands today. That's uh, that is fact until we are proven otherwise. So with that, let's get to Norman uh, Jeffries. Uh, so Leslie, what did you want to talk about as it relates to the ambulance theory and bringing him into the equation? I know, Gary, you had a lot to say about this as well. So Norman Jeffries is Eunice Murray's son-in-law, and we do know that he was um, around the property um, during the time near her death. Um and he was the one who was called early in the morning hours to fix the broken window that had been broken with the fireplace poker. He did a lot of handyman work kind of around the house for Marilyn. And in the late 90s, Norman Jeffries came out of the woodwork and told his story to Donald Wolf, who publishes this story in a book. Um, the Last Days of Marilyn Monroe also published as The Assassination of Marilyn Monroe. I believe that's the UK title. Um, and he corroborates the ambulance story. But what's interesting about this is that nobody else places Norman Jeffries at the scene except Norman Jeffries himself. Even Hall doesn't state that Norman Jeffries was there. So Norman Jeffries to me is the perfect example of somebody who has read uh, some of these conspiracy theories starting to come out and has decided, I'm going to get on this bandwagon. And he seems to be the evidence to me, and I hold him up as the standard of how anybody can say anything about that night with zero evidence, zero corroboration, and somebody will publish it in a book and people will believe it. And that's exactly what happened with Norman Jeffries. His story is not backed up in any way. He tells the same story as Hall right down to the broken rib, obviously after Hall's story came out. And he becomes this witness that nobody else places at the scene. Wow. Well, I think that that's the, the, the issue that we seem to be getting over and over and over as, as some of these things are circulating out there and we try to find uh, where the fact is, right? And we, we keep searching for it and we can't find it, just like the, the washer and dryer. And we'll talk about that in just a moment because I know it's, it's going to be the, the, running, uh, the running funny theme in, our, in this investigation. But, uh, you know, uh, Gary, you wanted to add, and I'll get to the washer and dryer in just a second, but uh, Gary, you wanted to add some stuff about Norman, too. Well, I thought it was interesting that um, Donald Wolf um, writes the book in 1998, but by this time, um, Norman Jeffries was already deceased. 
Uh, supposedly, he interviewed him in 1993, a year before his death, and then he published this account afterwards when Norman Jeffries himself wasn't available to be questioned further by any other person or the press. And so the role he plays for this particular biographer is that um, he is like an ideal witness to thread together all of these murder theories. Um, so it's, it's very convenient how now Norman Jeffries, who's only known to be present um, after Marilyn's death, is a witness to her entire last day. And this allows the biographer to um, draw together all of the different theories, and he becomes the constant witness to confirm all of them. And it's all published after he's deceased. Now, do is that were there tapes of his interview, or did he just interview him just like a you know a regular like uh, you know with uh, with pen and paper? Do well, we know no, that? I, I looked at the back of the book like Mary Jane does, and it just references the interview in 1993. But in a documentary, I have seen Anthony Summers play some of the supposed tape of this interview. Um, but like I've said before, it was completely inaudible. And uh, Summers states that uh, at the point that Jeffries was disclosing the events of that particular night, he actually asked for the tape to be turned off. So again, we had this mysterious testimony, which we can't track, unless, of course, that um, audio tape ever surfaces and, it, and it's audible. Well, you know, I'm going to have to check, but I'm almost positive Lois Banner has the Anthony Summers tapes in her library. So um, in the library that she has all of the uh, archives of, of Maryland. So we'll have to ask her about that because I think that will be interesting to go back and search through. You know, I was going back and I was uh, re-looking uh, at Eunice Murray's because I was looking for that clip about Eunice Murray. And you guys know this. It's just gets under my crawl about what she said. Um, and one of the things that I noticed, I went back and I, I listened to the clip again about Eunice Murray talking about um, uh, Bobby Kennedy that day, Gary. And it does, it does seem, you know, and, and you could be talking about another day, but he does say, was, she, was he there that afternoon? Um, so it appeared as if that's what he was ta- that she was talking about. So it didn't seem as uh, out of context as I as I thought. So it'd be interesting for the panel to go back and just look at that clip one more time. But the other thing that I found interesting in that um, in in one of Eunice Murray, Murray Murray's clips, and I mentioned to it last week, and I want uh, Mike if you could uh, cue that up so we could hear it. This has gotten onto my crawl because there's something about what she's saying that doesn't make a lot of sense and I think Leslie you talked about it last week as well let's let's listen to the clip and she had told me that one of the very first things to warn me that if she takes sedation which she did every night sometimes she's apt to forget and would take a second dose too soon and this is what she had to be very careful about so that was the first thing that I was concerned about after she she died that that probably had happened when she went to the telephone. So again, you know, this what's what's bothering me about what she says, and we talked about it last week. If she was there to to be there as a companion for Marilyn, especially the, the day that she wasn't feeling as great, and she knew this about her, and she just goes to the door and doesn't do anything. 
I would say that it would be almost, uh, 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 you know, this is just a theory now. It's not a fact, right? That, again, Marilyn was alive when she went to the door because why in the world would she know all of that and be that negligent not to find out if Marilyn was okay? Anybody want to jump in on that one? That's certainly one of the hardest questions to answer, and to me, that's the point at which the timeline starts to fall apart and, be, and the questions start to come up, because, like you said, if there's that much concern about her, she's staying the night, you know, they know that Marilyn's, you know, been having some emotional turmoil and had, had you know, called in Dr. Greenson for a session that day, uh, it doesn't make sense to me that she wouldn't check on Marilyn. Uh and I, I mean, I wish I could answer that for sure as to whether or not she did. Obviously, we can't know that for sure. And you go into speculation here. But as I said last week, you know, I think it's possible that she was found earlier than was told to the police. Yeah, I just given what she just said to me, she just told on herself. I mean, that was just somebody that told on herself. If 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 I knew that one of you and you were if I was there to look after you and I knew that about her and I was asked to go check on her and I just the light was on and I just decided to go watch Perry Mason. I'm sorry, I'm not buying it at all. Gary. Well, it's 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 very curious. And and the woman herself, um, her presentation is, is rather odd. Um, I don't really know how qualified she, she was to be um, a, a companion for Marilyn. She certainly wasn't uh, a psychiatric nurse. Um, and she was described by many people in Marilyn's circle as odd and even an inappropriate fit for Marilyn. She never really had a title. It wasn't until the police came that they had to determine what her title was to even explain to the police who she was, and uh, even in her book, she states that that Marilyn um, used to say, "We need to find a title for you, Mrs. Murray." So right. um, she's a mystery. She really is a mystery, and um, she's gone without um, any further exploration of of what she knew. All right, and Mary Jane, I'm going to get your thoughts after the break. We have to take a, a quick moment out. We'll be back. We're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and we are talking about Marilyn's last day. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. 
Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. I think we still have a caller on the air. Uh, April, are you there with us? Hi, Nina. How are you? Oh, doing great. I think you had a question or a comment for us. Thanks for being here. Um, it patient. was really just about um, Raymond Strait. He was brought up in last week's show because he claims to have heard some secret tapes. Um, Raymond Strait really isn't looked upon very positively in the celebrity community as a whole. He used to work for Jane Mansfield, and he actually has written two books about her. And in them, he details that they were going to get married and that she was having an affair with both Kennedy brothers and just a bunch of really crazy stuff. And then he also ghost-wrote Fred Otash's book, and as I'm sure the entire panel knows, Fred Otash claimed to have secret tapes that um, had Marilyn being killed on them. And some of those tapes, on those tapes, he claims that you can hear Archie Case and James Ahern, who were police officers for the LAPD, killing Marilyn. And, yeah, that's pretty much my tidbit. Well, I, I, I thank you for that, and I think it goes back to the reiteration, and I am going to solicit the public. If you have tapes, then, you know, then contact us. If you hear it by a hearsay, you know, which is I heard somebody say something to say something, it's not going to work anymore because, you know, first of all, you lose your credibility if you're just going out there telling stories. And second of all, with Fred, you know, again, he never really produced the tapes. And that's that's the challenge in this, in this uh, you know, context of trying to piece piece together what really happened to Marilyn that day. So thank you, April, for the call and for your comment. Mary Jane, do you want to say anything as it relates to that? Uh, no, I'm good. Thank you. Okay, I good. I think that's all been covered. Yes, I think it has too. So um, one thing I want to I want to uh, do this week is a life bite. And I think that uh, I want to just... Um, uh, this one's from Marilyn. It's it's about treat your animals with love. And this is from actually Ellen DeGeneres. It says, I'm not an activist. I don't look for controversy. I'm not a political person, but I am a person with compassion. I care passionately about equal rights. I care about human rights. I care about animal rights. I know that if Marilyn were alive today, this is something that she could have been saying about herself. So in the wake of that vicious uh, killing of Cecil the Lion this last week by the dentist who uh, paid to have him killed with a smile on his face, I think that it's time that we take a step back and we ask ourselves, what in the world are we doing and what do we value? You know, especially as it relates to animals. Although this action is horrific at best, shaming him and doing the same thing to him, is that the answer? How about the people who allowed him to be shot? Don't they have any accountability? Kind of reminds me of the misfits, you know, with, uh, with uh, Marilyn's role with Clark Gable. The key here is to honor and respect all of humanity, and that means our animals, too. So for this week, you know, there's people that are having some sensitivity coming up around Marilyn. So in honor of her passing, 
Why don't you donate to an animal shelter or organization? Make a difference. Allow Marilyn's heart to live on. That's something good you could do to honor a lady who loved animals and people and wouldn't want any harm to come to them. So on that note, we're going to switch gears a little bit and get into something a little bit more fun. Uh, We'll start with you, Leslie. What do you love about Marilyn? As we're getting into uh, the 53rd uh, year of her passing, we are asking people that question. And what do you you love about her? Um, I think that what I love about her is uh, how much in touch with her vulnerability and her soul she really was. Um, She was a person with so much emotion inside her and so much willingness to show it. She really wore her heart on her sleeve, I think, with the people that she loved. Um, And she wanted to have children so badly and had so much love to give and nurturing that she wanted to share. Um, And there's a quote that um, Arthur Miller said about Marilyn. He says, to understand Marilyn best, you have to see her around children. They love her. Her whole approach to life has their kind of simplicity and directness. And that right there, I think, sums up what I really love about Marilyn. Um, She was a real person, and she allowed herself to be who she was as much as possible within the confines of everything she had to deal with throughout her life. And that simplicity, that directness, that childlike quality about her, that never went away in spite of everything that she went through that just shines through and and, and it's something that really touches me every time I look at a picture of her or watch her on film. Do you think that's part of the reason why 53 years later we're still talking about her? I do, I do. I think, you know, and I, I think that she was someone who really changed the way we look at celebrities. I think that they were very remote um, for a long time. And Marilyn was so open and willing to talk about her life and to admit to her mistakes, uh, if they could even be considered mistakes, um, and to, you know, really talk about things like her abuse as a child. She made celebrities human. I think she was the first major celebrity who allowed her human side to really be shown. And of course, nowadays we, you know, get to peek into the bedrooms of every, you know, pseudo celebrity on the planet. But for Marilyn, somebody who was so famous and such a huge star to also have been so human, I think that's really what continues to attract people. Well, well said, and I think that humanness is is the key there. Mary Jane, uh, what are your thoughts, and what do you love about Marilyn? I love her bravery. I was going to say my my one of my favorite eras of her life is uh, 1955 to 1956, when she walked out on her contract, started her own production company fought the studios and won, um, returned to Hollywood triumphant, and then made a movie that got some of the best reviews of her entire career. And I don't, you know, nowadays for a woman to do something like that is, is not as impactful as it was back then. Um, a lot of people like to portray her as, oh, she was a, a perpetual victim and everybody walked all over her and they forget. I mean, she was once described as being a butterfly with a spine of steel. And I think that's the most <laughs> apt wow. description I've ever heard of her is she had that fragileness and that vulnerability, but she did stand up for herself and she fought hard for her convictions and what she believed in. 
And for a woman in the 1950s to do that is absolutely remarkable, and that's why I look up to her so much. Well said, too. And Gary, what do you love well, about Mary her? Jane and Leslie have kind of captured it all. Um, you know, Marilyn has been kind of chasing me, or I've been chasing her throughout um, my life. I remember her pictures when I was just a boy. She was everywhere. But there was something interesting when I looked into her eyes. You know, she had the type of eyes that that really penetrated to her soul. So there was something different about her even before I knew exactly who she was. But I think, you know, in, in doing the research that I did for Icon, you know, one of the most heartwarming uh, things that kind of captures Marilyn as a nutshell, in a nutshell, is when I read the letters she wrote to her stepchildren. You know, the, one of the legacies she left behind was that relationship that she had with, uh, with, as a stepmother and the depth of her love and affection for Joe DiMaggio Jr. and the Miller kids are found in these very long, detailed letters that she writes to them when uh, they're at summer camp. And some of them are when she was actually recovering from a miscarriage. And they really provide a deeper insight into her personality and her relationship. Um, In some of them, she actually takes on the voice of the family pet, Hugo the Basset Hound, (laughs) <laughs> and she writes to the kids as, as the dog. And in the letters, she's uh, stuffing stamps in case they feel like writing to her. And she knows about their school tests and the name of their friends and what they're reading. And she's encouraging and supportive, and she's always expressing her love. And I'd love to read just one short line from one oh, of I'd them. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be it's great. In the, it's in the voice of Hugo. And you can really hear her in these letters as a method actress because she takes on the persona of this dog and his adventures in the Connecticut countryside. But this is to Bobby, and it's written during the time she's recovering from a miscarriage. And tell us who Bobby is for the, for um, the people um, that Bobby don't know Miller, who Bobby is. Arthur okay, Miller, Bobby Miller. Okay, Bobby Miller. Okay, great. Um, Could you make me something for me to play with so I won't chew on your baseballs? At least I might not feel so lonely when you're away, especially with something from you. But if you can't, I'll understand. I know what I really need is for you to come back home, Bob. But in the meantime, have a good time at camp. Love from your friend and ankle chewer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, I think that that is the key here in terms of some of her, you know, her bravery that she had, her humanness. And then you're you're talking about the kind of the humanness and the real life aspect of her, that she wasn't just this glamorous uh, movie star that was, you know, fluttering around the globe and, you know, drinking champagne every day and and on the tragic end, you know, taking just a pop, uh, a pill popping um, celebrity. So you see somebody that really did care again, about people, about children, about animals. Uh, You know, with the the 53rd anniversary of her death coming up next week, Leslie, what do you you want this anniversary to um, kind of stand for? If there's anything that you would like, uh, because again, I'm I'm trying to move in terms of this show, moving from tragedy to transformation with it. That would be my goal in terms of her anniversary and kind of moving to the truth. What would be your uh, your hope for this anniversary? 
I think, and it's probably the same hope that I have for every anniversary in that as people are talking about Marilyn and and talk about her um, online and all over the place kind of picks up in the media around the anniversary of her death, as people are talking about her, I just would like to see more of her truth being spread and less of the lies. I just, every year, I hope that we are going to bring in more new fans um, to Immortal Marilyn and that we're going to be able to teach them about the Marilyn that we just talked about here, the human Marilyn, um, the wonderful stepmother and the brave woman that she really was. And that's who we need to remember um, on the anniversary of her death. That's who needs to be in our hearts and minds is this real human being, this caring, wonderful person who gets lost among all of the myth and legend. Um, and that's, that's the person that I think about um, on the night of August 4th and through August 5th. And that's who I would like to present to people if I can. Oh, beautifully said. And Mary Jane? I always want to see people remember her not for the the superficial image of, you know, a woman with her skirt flying over her head or, or singing happy birthday. I want people to know who she was as a person and the actual achievements and accomplishments that get pushed aside in light of the more titillating, scandalous things. You know, she was taking charge of her career. She was doing a lot of charity work. She, you know, did a lot of things that still resonate through the film industry today. And those achievements always get overshadowed by the stuff that sells more headlines. So I always want to see people remember her for her accomplishments rather than rumors. Gary? And for folks to really um, celebrate her resilience and how she continues to inspire people because she overcame such horrible, um, such a horrible background and so many challenges, and she overcame things that most of us haven't survived, and she was able to make it, and just because her death was premature and tragic doesn't take away um, her accomplishment or her bravery. And um, people need to see that and know that, that they can make it too. You know, um, so many people empathically connect to her. And when they do, um, you know, looking at even their own wounded parts of themselves that relate to her, you know, they can recognize the strength that she had as the strength that they have and um, give them hope for their future. Well, I think, you know, each and every one of you said something very beautiful about her. And I I always say that there's a little life lesson in, in everything. And I think, again, if we can take something that is a tragedy, which is her death, right? If you look at that, but the transformation and the humanitarian aspect of it. And each of you talked about her in a way that connects us all. You know, because each and every one of us have difficulties and obstacles. Each and every one of us, um, if we could be more human, how wonderful and show our humanness and not be afraid to. If we could be brave and and w- amongst all the difficulties that she had said, you know what, I'm going to have that determination to try one more time. And the reality is, is she did, regardless of her life was cut short. She had those abilities that each and every one of us have and have the ability to connect to. And I think that's also the number one reason 53 years later, we are still 
talking about her and hopefully going to have some vindication around the truth of what happened to her. So I just want to say uh, to each and every one of you, my panel today, uh, Gary Vitaco Robles, uh, icon, The Times, Life, and uh, Films of Marilyn Monroe, uh, thank you so much. Mary Jane Gray, your love and continued research for her truth. Leslie Kasperowitz, your ability to show up and defend her each and every day. I appreciate you and applaud you in your efforts. And I thank you as we go into the 53rd anniversary of her death. Please join us August 4th at the Formosa Cafe as we celebrate and honor the memory of old Hollywood and Marilyn Monroe. Until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio. And remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.